0: Welcome to Chapter Chat Online Book Club. I'm Carrie, And I'm Michael. We are speech-language pathologists who are passionate about developmentally appropriate practice.
1: Each week, we discuss one chapter from a book related to optimal child development and education reform.
0: Thanks for joining us.
1: And enjoy the show.
0: Hey, Chapter Chat listeners. Mike and I are back in action, and we are starting a new book. And we are so excited, aren't we, Mike?
1: I am so excited to be back. It's been a nice little break to kind of reset and recharge and get everything back to where we need to be. And here we are on a podcast.
0: Here we are. Yeah, we used to do it, uh, do our chapter chat discussions on Instagram Live. And, you know, we were talking about how when we started this, we were in the middle of a pandemic and we didn't really leave our house. And so we were looking for things to do. So we're like, hey, let's start this online book club. And it worked for a while, didn't it?
1: Yeah. And we were taking those Instagram lives and we were recording them and putting them onto Apple and uh-huh. Spotify. And I, I would look every week at the thousands of people who would listen to those chapter chats and people would message me and let me know they listen to them in the car or on their run. So podcasts really are the way to go. It gives us the flexibility in terms of scheduling, yes. which is sorely needed with all the traveling we're doing and, yeah. and everything saved and recorded for everyone to listen to at their own pace.
0: Yeah, so we are excited to get this podcast party started. Uh, We are starting a new book, like I mentioned, and the book that Mike and I chose is called Let the Children Play, How More Play Will Save Our Schools and Help Children Thrive. And this book was published in 2019. So this is a very recent book. And the authors are Passy Salberg and William Doyle. And so what Mike and I are going to do tonight is we're going to, there's a foreword that we both enjoyed. So we're going to kind of, discuss the forward, and then we're going to discuss chapter one.
1: Yeah. Sometimes I feel like I'm still on Instagram Live. Like, I'm picking up the book and I'm showing I'm it, showing it, there, everyone showing it to the yeah. audience, yeah. <laughs> but, it, yeah. but yeah. It, it, it's just you and me on the screen. But yeah, I, I am so excited about this book. Uh, you know, all the books we've done so far, we started with How Children Succeed, then moved on to Finish Lessons. We did Most Likely to Succeed. So we've read so many books about this. is book
0: six, isn't it?
1: uh, Yeah. We also did the- we
0: did the two by Linda.
1: Yep. So one, two, three, four, five. This is book six. Absolutely. Book number six. Book number six. Unbelievable. So, and all these books, especially the books we did before Linda Murphy's books, uh, it was all about education reform, the state of education, and really about what children are dealing with today. Yeah. Uh, In the 21st
0: century. Yeah.
1: uh, The 21st century child. Uh, and it's just absolutely fascinating to me. and, and you, with the, with, you know, both of us are entrenched in, in this field of child development and yep. and, it, and it, it, it doesn't take, you know, a rocket scientist to see that this is an absolute broken system. Yeah. It is
0: broken. And what's so interesting, in case you're a new listener, is I am an early childhood speech-language pathologist, uh, birth to five, with a real interest in birth to three. So very early child development. And Mike is, you're more... What, adolescence, college, yeah. Age. Yeah.
1: ADHD, executive functioning. So I work with a lot of middle school, high school and college age. Do. Sure.
0: Sure. So, and we're both parents. Um, my yeah. children, I have a 24 year old, a 23 year old and a 17 year old. And Mike, you have,
1: I have a 14 month old.
0: Uh Little baby Eden. Uh, yep. <laughs> yep. 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 So we are at different uh, points in our parenting journey. We're at different points, obviously, in our SLP SLP careers. Uh, interesting little note. Mike and I have never met in person. Uh, we yes. are uh, besties. We are like work besties. Uh, so what an interesting era to live in, where we can be such good friends, such good great colleagues, uh, be able to do the things we do professionally, and never have met in person. It's crazy. Yeah, I know. Him?
1: It's it's it, and it's so fascinating. You know, you and I, a lot of our conversations have been basically recorded. You yep. know, you, you and I really, you and I really haven't had that many informal conversations. No,
0: no, but, that's going to change. One yeah, of these days. Yeah. One of these days. But yeah. We,
1: but we share so many uh, passions and, you know, yes. everything that you post about, Pediatrics is just as applicable to teens, uh-huh. uh, and you know everything. Even your love of wine, I even share your love of wine.
0: Oh, wine. <laughs> I love wine. Yes, if you don't know that yet, yes. Uh, and Mike was so gracious. I think it was at Christmas you sent me some yeah. phenomenal wine, which I thoroughly enjoyed. So <laughs> I hope so. Yes. So let's go ahead and start talking about this forward uh, of our book. Let the children play. Uh, was there anything that stood out to you in the forward, Mike, that you want to start with?
1: Well, first, this forward really starts by giving out some really alarming statistics. So yeah. it really begin it really begins by you know set laying the the foundation for what's to come in this book. And the very first thing I have underlined uh, is is where they list almost one in ten children today mm-hmm. never play outside at all. One in ten never play outside at all. And so it, by the by the way, the accepted convention, uh, and, and then uh, the treatment of high security prisoners. So oh yes. First, so prisoners who are in jail, yes, have to spend at least one hour a day outside exercising and relaxing. That, that's part of ethical treatment of prisoners. We're right. talking about murderers and, <laughs> and 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 drug dealers and all the worst. This stuff and the
0: worst. Yeah. Yeah. Are, are yeah. getting
1: more outdoor play than children. Yes. Children with developing brains that need to play, that need to get the, do risky play, they yep. need to play with their hands, they need to develop their executive functioning and develop their brains, they get less out outdoor time than prisoners.
0: And what's interesting is they go on to say that even when children today are playing outside, they're often supervised by adults in yep. organized games, organized sports, uh, and so when they are playing indoors – most of that play is screen-based play, right? And people forever want to say, look, Carrie, look, Mike, we live in a different world. You know, it's the it's the digital age. And so, you know, kids have to, you know, uh, be able to uh, understand how to use screens. And so it's a, it's a different world that we live in. And I will give you that. It is absolutely um, a different world that we live in. But here's the thing, children with developing brains and bodies, children with developing nervous systems, they still have to acquire skills. And one of the things that I always like to talk about is that um, uh, this kind of... Digital knowledge, this, um, you know, high tech knowledge is one type of knowledge that children yeah. today have to gain, but children still also have to develop fine motor and gross motor skills and social skills and communication skills and self help skills. And it's really hard to develop those skills while sitting sedentary in front of a screen. So while um, technological know how is one type of intelligence, nobody's discrediting that. You're right. It absolutely is. But it's not the only type. Type of intelligence. And I think that's where this idea of balance, and isn't it interesting on, I don't know, the pages aren't numbered in the foreword. Well, they are if you know, I guess it's page Roman, 12 Roman if numerals. you know your Roman numerals. <laughs> but what I have underlined, Mike, is in the second paragraph, it says um, children's lives are now increasingly out of balance. And I just, I stopped. Mm-hmm. Like That phrase to me is mm-hmm. really key because I think the word balance is so important. Don't you feel like even you and I as adults who spend a lot of time writing, you know, we're writers, we we create we write seminars right we we do that, those kinds of things so we sit in front of a screen a lot for our job but don't you sometimes think okay i need to get up and go outside i need to take All a break Yeah. And it's nice. I got for my birthday, my husband got me an Apple watch and I was like, didn't even think I wanted it. And I love so much when it beeps, you know, buzzes at me and it's like, you need to move. And I'm like, thank you. Because you get so engrossed in it. And we know if it's happening to adults, it's certainly happening to children. So, um, on that same page, Mike, wasn't it interesting that they talked about in 2015, that they did a survey and they looked at 12,000 families in 10 different countries. Okay, not just the United States. They looked at 10 different uh, companies, goodness, uh, 10 different countries. And the study confirmed that children everywhere spend much less time than previous generations on self-directed outdoor play. Mike, when you were a kid, what, what first of all, when were you a kid? I was a kid in the seventies. When were you a kid? The I was a
1: kid in the greatest decade of all time, the nineteen nineties.
0: Oh my God, you are a baby! All right. so you were a kid in the nineties. I was a kid in the seventies. Now, would you agree with this statement? I would say when I was a child, the best way to describe my childhood is um, we played outside and we rode bikes.
1: Oh yeah. apply to oh, you. Yeah. I I probably I'm looking at my looking at my childhood from first grade until twelfth grade. Uh-huh. I probably owned. At different times, <laughs> around eighteen different bikes.
0: Oh my gosh. So you <laughs> I'm dead serious. That, yeah, I, I had bikes bike of all time:
1: long, longboards, rollerblades,
0: oh, everything.
1: So, so I grew up. I grew up in Long Island, okay. where not a lot of people have like big. Like I, I grew up in a town where there's really, really big houses, and there's uh, there's like canals in the backyard uh-huh. close to the ocean. But I, 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 wasn't on that side of the of the town. Okay. I had, a, but I had a huge lake in my backyard with a huge uh-huh. backyard and bridges and uh a huge long driveway so i was always in that backyard messing around with you know the trees and building things and playing in the garage and playing by the lake and there's so many ducks uh-huh. and animals and uh it, i was and i lived really close to the high school so i was really close uh-huh. to all the all the things around there so i i literally would just go all around the town with my friends that was the thing to yeah. do and there were local yep. local parks where you we would just walk around in the woods and play paintball in the woods. Sure. And and th- sure. those are the fondest memories I have. And yes, I, I also owned a Nintendo sixty four and a GameCube and those things. Yep.
0: But yep. <laughs> but this
1: was before the era of online gaming. Right. Which is really what set off gaming addictions. You bet. Uh, but I bet. but nothing all of the memories I have now of my childhood are being outdoors.
0: Yeah. And it's just so interesting. Today, if we send kids outside to play, they often come back in in a couple minutes and say, well, there was nothing to do because kids today are so used to being instructed. So today, kids during play, they expect to be either instructed or entertained. Yep, and that doesn't yep. describe our childhood. I mean, we yep. certainly didn't expect some adult to entertain us or some adult to instruct us. But today, that's what so many kids uh, are expecting. And, and that so- comes
1: from the overparenting and the helicopter parenting. So these yep. parents these parents have the best of intentions sure. to watch over their children, to make sure they're safe and uh, mm-hmm. keep an, keep an eye on them on, on them and those sorts of things. But it creates this, like we just talked about, Linda Murphy and co regulation. Mm-hmm. It also Creates this incredibly unhealthy codependency. Right. And now, myself being someone who works with high schoolers and college age students, it's unbelievable the amount of codependency I see with, hmm. uh, with moms and older boys and, and girls with ADHD. Mm-hmm. You know, these moms who are willing to drive six hours to go see them in the dorms because they're lonely or because they're missing assignments and have them come home for the weekend and do all these things for them. Uh, It's really, uh, and it's because of this, you know, the helicopter parenting, the permissive parenting um, and, you know, the lack of their ability to play and problem solve on their own. Yep.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So as this uh, forward goes on, it talks about, um, I really like this too, real play is not a particular activity. Real and play. I, I, yeah. That term real play, um, true play or real play. I like how they use that term in here, but I like how he says it's not a particular activity. When I ask parents about play, what does play look like for your child? Oftentimes they want to tell me about a particular game or a particular toy or a particular activity. And I like how they say in here, um, play is a state of mind, right? Beautiful. In which all sorts of activities are done. Uh, and it involves all the senses. And I could not love that more because I'm always uh, talking about, you know, multi-sensory learning, right? That's what play provides is multi-sensory learning. And it involves play-based movement, right? Physical activity. And so they talk in here about some of the common characteristics of real play. It's self-initiated, it's self-motivated, it's creative, it's active. And um, it has negotiated rules. Right. So within the play, the children decide, uh, you know, what the rules are. Uh, So there's different ways to play. And so um, it's just a really nice uh, forward um, that they talk about. The other thing that I think is really good in this forward is um, they talk about. Uh, The real play is vital for physical development of healthy bodies. It stimulates cognitive development. Um, They get to tap into their natural curiosity and creativity. And here's what's so awesome. It says real play helps to form new neural connections. And I actually underline that term because whenever you hear the term neural connections, it sounds like such a fancy word. It just simply means learning. That's yep. what neural connections yep. when you're building synaptic connections it means learning is happening so real play supports learning right in the brain while strengthening those already existing pathways. We know that real play facilitates emotional development. It facilitates social development. It helps children learn to work together, teamwork, communication, problem solving skills. Uh, and so, um, you know, I think the question that we always ask ourselves when we start this discussion on the power of play is, well, if play is so important, then why aren't kids playing more today? You know there what's you happened to play, and uh, in this forward, um, they say one is um, one of the reasons is the pervasive reach of digital media and the compulsive attractions of screen-based games. Mm. So we know that kids are getting addicted. We know that everybody's getting addicted to except you know to screen time. And so what is so fascinating to think about is that human beings by nature will always take the path of least resistance, right? That's just what human beings it. do. So once a child figures out that. Playing on the iPad is easy. Okay. And um, then all of a sudden, this whole idea of having to like ride a bike. Or having to build with blocks, or having to use both hands to make Legos fit together, or having to like be creative, you know, while coloring, or you know, doing some kind of art project. All of a sudden, the demands seem too high, right? It's so much. Yep. I'd rather just lay on the the, the floor and um, eat potato chips or eat Goldfish crackers and play on my iPad. So what you're asking me to do is too demanding, and I think that's one of the biggest concerns that I have in early childhood is that passive play. Tends to um, kind of snuff out, if you will, that active, creative, imaginative play.
1: Yeah, and and how that definition that they give us here, play is a state of mind.
0: Yep, that is so
1: so simple, but it speaks volumes. And how about that definition for this this world of neurodiversity and Mm -hmm. all of our neurodiverse learners? Play is a state of mind. It's not. The set rules of, you know, play is using your imagination. It looks different for every single unique individual. But it's that state of mind. And all of this incredible, uh, you know, all of it. Play is self-initiated, self-motivated, executive function skills, creative, executive functionings. Uh, Real play stimulates cognitive development. It facilitates emotional development. And uh, it plays an essential role in social development, yep. cognitive, emotional, and social. Those yep. three things, right there, uh, especially emotional and social, are the prerequisites for lifelong success and, yeah, and the for happiness.
0: We, I mean, yeah, exactly. Right, we're,
1: we're talking about how are we going to get this child? You know, whether this is someone with an IEP, a five hundred four. A mm-hmm. different learner, uh, a neurotypical child, whatever right, it may right. be, we're talking about giving them the tools to be successful post, you know, eighteen years old, post mm-hmm. high school, college, mm-hmm. graduation, into uh, adulthood, yeah, into adulthood, and it's all from play, and all of this research is there, and I love how you say neural connections is learning. That's it. Yeah. so that's what it is. Yeah, and, and we talked about in all of our previous books this lecture-listen model of America where kids have to sit still and take notes and listen mm-hmm. in these uncomfortable desks. Mm-hmm. But we know, we know Finland's got it right. Finland, yeah. Finland's doing all the play in their education. And here we are in America where we have this, uh, this cognitive hypothesis driven by the capitalism in, in education. Mm-hmm. And now we also have screen time. And who better to market screen time and games to than kids? Mm-hmm. Who, exactly. can, who can manipulate their parents to bring them all, <laughs> bring them everything they need.
0: Exactly.
1: But, uh, but yeah. you know, it, it's, you know, they talk about this concept of real play and this is such an important concept for all parents to, to understand. Uh, cause I can't tell you how many parents I speak to that will very simply say, kids don't play outside anymore. They play online games. My son has so many friends and he talks so beautifully to all of his friends while playing Fortnite, while playing Minecraft. Mm -hmm. Well, they say it beautifully here. Playing video games can have positive effects for children. It can, yes. Mm -hmm. But as the research convincingly shows, video games do not even begin to match the social, emotional, cognitive, and physical benefits for for real play in children's development. So that's right. parents so parents might want to say kids are just playing games now that's the way the world is 2022. Uh-huh. Well guess what I'm sorry it's time to swallow your pride a little bit yeah and and understand that you're probably just believing that because you're trying to rationalize how much screen time your kid has right now
0: yeah so and you're, it's you're, so you're, hard. You're, you're telling
1: yourself that you're telling yourself right it, kids just play games now you're saying that to make yourself feel better. Right. You and really I think
0: are. part of it starts in early childhood because so many of the online games and online shows are deemed educational. Yeah. So I have parents of very young children who will actually say, oh, you know, um, not only is um, screen time, you know, okay for kids, it's necessary because how else are they going to learn their letters, numbers, shapes, and colors? Ooh. You know, how else Ooh. are they going to get ready for school? And so I do think that they're, you know, we're, we're a society who's been a little bit, um I don't know I hate to use the word brainwashed but there's this empathized. idea yeah, yeah, yeah that we have you know bought into this we've been drinking the Kool-Aid that you know you have to have screen time um to be successful what is so interesting in this forward is they talk about um that uh, by the age of 3 screen time is the dominant way that most children play and they looked at a survey and they found that by age seven, children have spent up to two years and three months in front of screens. By age seven, they've spent almost two and a half years in front of screens. And here's what, what's interesting, Mike, less than half of this time is spent with family and friends playing games or watching films together. The rest of the time, children are alone with the screen. So there is wow. a term, it's not necessarily brought up in this book, but it is a term that um, I really have have done some I have a course on screen time and child development, but there's a term called joint media engagement, JME, joint media engagement. And what we know is that uh, for young children, young learners, that uh, when uh, an adult... mediates the screen time experience with a child, meaning it's co-viewed, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning you're playing the game together, you're watching, you know, a show together, you're playing the app together, that children actually benefit more from it when it's mediated by someone who is more skilled uh, in, in you know, in life, if you will. So this idea of joint media engagement um, is important, but the fact that children are spending um, most of their screen time alone Tells us it's not joint, right? It's not something they're doing socially with another person. So, yeah, um, it, it's really an interesting book. Um, I don't know. So, the rest of the forward, um, yeah. Oh, here's something too. You know, they talked about the three um, reasons play is disappearing. Um, uh, um, the pervasive reach of digital media was one reason. The second reason is um, that many adults think play is basically frivolous, purposeless activity. So this whole idea that we don't value um, play, That's um, especially in a cognitive education.
1: hypothesis right there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Especially yep. in education. And then um, the last section of the foreword, they talk about the third reason for the decline in play is fear that um, uh, we, as parents are often afraid to let our children go outside and play like you and I did, Mike, you know, yep. run around the neighborhood, Be because um, of the fear that, you know, our world is extremely unsafe. And while that is certainly true, it's important to recognize that there have always been terrible, awful human beings on this planet. And Mm -hmm. the thing is, because of social media, we now know about every one of those terrible, awful human beings on this planet. And we don't just hear about it once or twice. Yeah, we hear about it repeatedly over and over and over. And so what our brain does is interprets each one of those as a separate incident. So in our minds, kids are getting abducted and murdered and, and taken, you know, um, so it's just important to understand that those 24 hour news cycles, um, feed into that fear. Uh, this is why it's important to have a village, right? Yeah. When yeah. you know your neighbors, see the problem. I, I think this goes much deeper. I think because we don't know our neighbors, we don't live in the same kind of communities yep. that you and I grew up in. Um, because, you know, um, there isn't one parent who's home like there used to be, you know, much of the time. And, um, you know, we used to not have air conditioning. So everybody played outside. So you got to know your neighbors, you know, I mean, they're just there used to be a connection with the people in our neighborhood. And I think I've mentioned this before, but um, I feel like I was raised in a neighborhood I grew up in Des Moines Iowa I feel like I was raised in a neighborhood but I feel like I've raised my children on a street wow. and I just think there is something really different about that whole you know mentality that whole mindset that we're more cautious of letting our children go outside and play in the neighborhood because we don't know our neighbors so how do we know who lives down the street we don't have block parties we don't interact we don't sit on the front porch and drink iced tea um, or beer whatever it is you prefer to drink but you know we used to literally know our neighbors and now Now, most people literally do not know their neighbors. So I understand to a degree, you know, some of that, some of that fear. Um, But we need to figure out how we can get children back outside and get them uh, playing uh, and building uh, the neural connections that they desperately need uh, in order to not only be ready for school, but to do well in school and to do well in life.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's you know, so many things that are outside of our control, you know, big corporations like Apple and Kumon mm-hmm. and baby Einstein and those sorts of things. These things aren't going to go away. They're, they're, no. There's going to there's keep being new models of iPhones that right. all, the, all the kids are going to want. <laughs> And there's going to be incredible video games, VR, and all these things that people are going to want. But the one thing that we have, and we always will have, is our schools. We will always have our schools. And we talk, Carrie and I talk all the time about how our schools are broken. Well, schools are a place where kids go to learn. They come to get those neural connections Mm -hmm. without their phones, you know, most schools, Say put your phones away and some Uh schools you gotta, you know, hand your phone in and things like that. But we need to bring play back to schools, especially in early childhood. Especially if by the age of three, screen time (laughs) becomes the most dominant way for children to play. Are you kidding are you kidding me? A three year old?
0: And I go into a lot of schools now as a consultant into the early childhood programs. So I'm talking three to five-year-old programs. I've spent quite a bit of time in one school district here um, in uh, the United States, doesn't matter what state it is right now, but in the kindergarten classrooms. And I'm telling you, um, things are, you know, in this one classroom, this kindergarten classroom, I was there on a Tuesday and they said, oh, good, you're here to see play. And I'm like, oh, I was so excited. And they're like, we play um, for 20 minutes on Tuesdays. In kindergarten. And I'm like, excuse me? And she's like, oh yeah, this is the day we play. We get 20 minutes in our week to play. And the play was go get a box of toys, a little shoe box of toys and sit at your desk and don't talk to your neighbor. So they don't even know what play is. And these are kindergarten teachers calling it play. So there is something like so messed up right now. So I think we need to go ahead and get into chapter one, Mike. And the name of this chapter is the coming golden age of childhood. And I will tell you the very first at the top of each chapter, there's like a little quote. And I just love the second quote. It's by the prime minister of Singapore. And it says, it is good for young children to play and to learn through play. And he begs, please let your children have their childhood. And I will tell you that just kind of struck a chord with me because, um, I, this, you know, one of my one-liners that I've been saying for years is your child only gets one childhood. They get yeah. one childhood yeah. and there are no do-overs. So whatever we do, we can't deny children their childhood. You know, we've got to make sure that they have a childhood. And so when, when I read that quote by the prime minister of Singapore, I'm like, yes, we yeah. are on the same page. Absolutely. And so- we learn,
1: yeah. And we learn a lot in this chapter about how, uh, it, at points throughout history, Political uh, programs and political uh-huh. ideologies really promoted play, and and right and right along with the rise of screens and mobile uh-huh. phones and Wi-Fi internet, all of a sudden politicians changed their course.
0: Yeah, and isn't it interesting? Um, They start with, in 1930, a White House conference of 3,000 childhood development experts from around the United States issued the Children's Charter. So we're back in 1930, you guys. They issued the Children's Charter, which was a national policy that stated every child, wherever he may live under the protection of the American flag, has the right of comradeship, of play, and of joy. The right to a community that provides him with safe and wholesome places to play and recreation and the right to wholesome physical and mental recreation with teachers and leaders adequately trained. Wow. I mean, I'm just like, so that was 1930. Wow. And then we go a few um, decades where they don't talk much about play. But in 1989, I remember when this um, reading about this, the United Nations adopted the Convention on the Rights of the Child, which declares every child has the right to rest and leisure, to engage in play and recreational activities appropriate to the age of the child and to participate freely in cultural life and the arts. In 2007, the American Academy of Pediatrics um, started stressing the importance of play in promoting healthy child development. In 2010, the CDC, you know, the CDC, they like to talk about a lot of stuff that isn't related <laughs> to disease. But anyways, right. um, right. in in 2010, the CDC, Centers for Disease Control, reported there is substantial evidence that physical activity, including school recess, can help improve academic achievement, including grades and standardized test scores. Right. In 2011, the European Parliament and Council of the European Union declared that quote, all children have have the right to rest, leisure, and play. In the same year, 2011, the American Academy of Pediatrics issued another clinical report on play, stressing that in order for children in poverty to reach their highest potential, it is essential that parents, educators, and pediatricians recognize the importance of lifelong benefits that children gain from play. Another one from the AAP in 2013. Um, 2017, here comes the CDC again, talking about the importance of physical activity. 2017, good grief. Even China's on board, right? China's national ministry of education talks about the importance of promoting play and that it is a matter of highest importance and declared that play is a unique way in which the child encounters the world and learns. And isn't this interesting, Mike? They said- Um, They talk about uh, play supports children to engage in self-determined, joyous play to, quote, are you ready for this? Reverse a contemporary emphasis on knowledge and skills learning, the neglect and interruption of play, adult direction of play, the substitution of electronic games for play materials and other factors that rob the child of the right to play and reverse a trend towards primary schoolification and adult orientation in early childhood that impacts the physical and emotional health of the child. Wow. And then 2018, we have one from the World Bank. What do they know about children? But anyways, the World Bank said that children's brains are most efficient at incorporating new information through play. And in 2018, once again, the American Academy of Pediatrics urges for play in children's lives, stressing that play is fundamentally important for learning 21st-century skills such as problem-solving, collaboration, and creativity, which require, here it is, Mike, the executive functioning skills that are critical for adult success. I mean, wow.
1: Yeah. So, so this, this is basically just the big organizations that have, you know, that report on from the best doctors, the best research, they have all the funding, they have all the grants. We're talking about the CDC. We're talking about the American Academy of Pediatrics, the world bank, China's national ministry of education. We're talking about all the big global big shots, that read that report on the best research done, you know, like we all, we all know about research studies. There's some that are really small groups, some research Mm -hmm. that that, that's not our, that's not done so well. We're talking about the big global organizations
0: and they all agree.
1: Yeah. We're not talking about some study done at UPenn. We're talking, we're talking (laughs) about huge things going on here and every single one of them say the exact same thing. So that's the biggest thing that, that you should take from this chapter is there is mountains and mountains and mountains of research showing the benefits of play. Why are we not using that research trickling down into our real lives?
0: Right. So here's, here's one thing that I always ask people when I do my seminar on the power of play is, are you a defender of play? Because I am, I have to defend play to parents. I have to defend play to um, administrators in the schools because people view play as a waste of time. despite. The amount of research, I mean, there's an exorbitant amount of research that says play is anything but frivolous, purposeless activity. So, on page five in chapter one, Mike, they actually ask the question the authors ask the question, why is play dying in our schools? And they go on to talk about GERM, which is an acronym for the Global Education Reform Movement. And that's a term that one of the authors, Passy Sahlberg, um, coined. And what it does is it describes an intellectual school reform paradigm. That places academic performance um, as measured by standardized tests before all else, right? So what we care about more than anything is t- standardized test scores before we care about children's engagement or their well-being and play in school. So test mm-hmm. scores are the only thing that matter, right? And um he goes on to say germ, um this global education reform movement is the belief um, among many politicians and policymakers that education can be improved by, are you ready for this? increasing the academic workload of younger and younger children. And that's what all of our first three books that we talked about were all about that cognitive hypothesis, the global education reform movement. And what we know is children today, students today are under an immense amount of pressure, right? So they've taken away play and they've taken away things like the arts, music, physical education, life skills, field trips, ethics, civics, um, hands-on learning. Those have, have, have just continued to be on the decline as we continue to see more importance in teaching to the test, right? Standardized test scores, high stakes testing, if you will.
1: Yeah. And and all across the country now, you know, now that we're, you know, about, you know, beyond two years now of this COVID-19 pandemic uh, and we're starting to see masks go away in schools Uh and social distancing go away in schools and all those sorts of things, you know, now, you know, hopefully we, you know, hopefully all these variants calm down and those sorts of things and we can really start to focus on the real germ. The germ yeah. that the germ that's been here, the germ that's been here all Not the long.
0: covid germ. Not the covid germ,
1: the real germ because this <laughs> is absolutely huge and and like when you said about a couple of seconds ago, I'm talking to principals, I'm talking to superintendents and I have to defend play. That yeah. like that like I like I understand that's real. But that blows my mind.
0: Oh, that's what As, I am. I am a defender of play. I mean, and I do. I feel like I the have fact to. That you even have to
1: do that. The fact that you even have to do that shows just how serious this problem is. And th- and think about this. So, germ. Because what's happening in this global education reform movement? We're putting all the focus on academic performance versus engagement, right. and. Well-being,
0: well so we'll put it. So we're putting happiness, all happiness. joyfulness, right? Yes. Developing skills that matter, functional life skills that actually matter.
1: Yeah, and and I, all, my clinic that I have, uh, which is in its busiest hours after school, so we're really really busy uh-huh. from like three to seven, three to eight, uh-huh. and I can't and I can't tell you the things that these kids have to say about school. Every uh-huh. single one of them absolutely hates it. Every single one of them. If they they can go to a they can go to a blue ribbon school, they can have a teacher that they love. They can have the nicest MacBook that the school gives them. They can have the funnest homework, whatever. They Mm -hmm. are absolutely miserable. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you
0: got to tell us about your your social media post today. I know by the time people listen to this, so it doesn't matter what the date is. But I was scrolling through uh, social media and I saw Mike's post and I went, "Oh my gosh!" Because we talked about this in maybe all of the the first three books, but tell us a little bit about, um, college dropout in the United States.
1: Yeah. So, uh, along with this global education reform movement, along with, uh, the cognitive hypothesis of this massive push of standardized testing, Mm -hmm. teachers are forced to teach to the test. Mm -hmm. There's no teacher collaboration. It's all about scores and the decline of play uh, you know, there's also other things going on with, you know, the race to the top and no child uh-huh. left behind and, you know, the 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 long history of IEPs and 504s, There's uh-huh. you know, all, all of these things. You know, very recently now, ever since this huge rise of germ, America now leads the world, the world. In, in college dropouts and especially first semester college dropouts. <laughs> and when you look at the data, a lot of these kids were very successful in school, but a lot of these kids had 50, 60, 70-page IEPs, 504 plans with massive accommodations, no responsibility on the shoulders of the kid, and overall, they hated school. They or the hate kids
0: it. who do well in school, but yeah. that's the only thing they have to do, right? So exactly. maybe they're not well-rounded. They're not doing other things. You know, maybe they're not holding down a job. They don't have chores at home. I think about the chores and how important that is for learning how to manage your time. Ooh, I've got homework. I've got this report to do, but I also have to do laundry and I have to, right? Once you get and to that's college. that's what it is. If you get to college and all you've ever had to do is take care of your homework, if you've never had any other responsibility whatsoever except to get good grades, and now you go off to college and you have to fend for yourself, right? You got to have clean clothes to wear and your mom or dad isn't there to do your laundry for you, right? And you've got to figure out how to budget you know, and maybe you never had to budget before because somebody just ended up putting money in your account and it was just always there, right? So being able to plan, all those executive function skills, right? If those aren't in place before college, I don't know how we can expect anybody to have any success in college. And
1: and that's what it is. You hit the nail on the head. It's managing your time. And that includes managing your screen time. So even, (laughs) even, even even 12th grade, the final year of high school is highly structured you're mm-hmm. still given a schedule and you're told be here at this time this time sit yeah. here and listen at this time with your phone in your pocket at this time uh-huh. for college isn't that way and it uh-huh. happens at the drop of a hat all of a sudden pack your bags go to college you have to you have to go from this dorm building to this building over here to go to class for this hour then you have a three hour break and you have to go to your next class. And what are you going to do in
0: those three hours? Exactly. Because I can just go play video games, right? I can just go take a nap. I can go sleep because you have these freedoms that you were never afforded when you were in high school. So it's really interesting to look at the studies on college dropouts and the fact that we continue to push this cognitive hypothesis in the United States, right? We continue to put all our eggs in the standardized test basket as if that is the thing that matters most. And yet we can't get our kids to graduate from college. You know, I mean we st- I mean the fact that we are the what'd you say the highest dropout in the world, right?
1: In the entire world and the, and the biggest is first semester dropouts and a lot of them were very successful in high school. And they were successful, you know, they were able to push and get good grades, mm-hmm. but where's the standardized score for their mental health? Where's right. the you know where's the standard deviation for their depression score? for their socialization score, for their overall well-being. Nobody was checking on that. All parents cared about was homework completion and grades. And if that's all we're going to care about, we're going to have a lot of depressed kids.
0: Yep. And I just think, you know, this is, yeah, as I look through what I've highlighted in this chapter, on page eight at the bottom, Mike, it says, Every moment of play that is abolished from school, every recess that is canceled, every machine that replaces a caring, qualified teacher, and every unnecessary, high-stress standardized test that is forced upon a child represents, are you ready for this? A theft from children who yearn. What do they yearn for? Who yearn for movement, creativity, discovery, joy, warmth. Encouragement and friendship as they learn and grow. We have piled onto our children stress upon stress, pressure upon pressure, standardized test upon standardized test. There is no evidence that this has helped our children's learning or their futures. Yet we keep doing it year after year to millions upon millions of children the world over. I mean, that's just heart wrenching to me to think about that we know better. And we, you know, the saying, what is it? Well, Maya angel is saying, when you know better, you do better. Well, not when it comes to education, because we know better and we choose not to do better, right? Yep. So what is it going to take for education reform to happen in this country?
1: And and what was that quote we started this chapter with? Please let your children have their childhood. Please. Well, we have absolutely <laughs> robbed our children of their childhood, with mountains of homeworks and ri- and ridiculous standardized test scores that there is zero evidence that those standardized test scores are going to help them long in term in yes. life.
0: It doesn't yeah. high test scores don't make you successful in nope. life, right? And Neither, and neither <laughs> does
1: homework completion. Ugh. I can't tell you how many families come to me every day homework's a fight, homework's a fight. And then I'll you know, I sit with them and I break down this homework for them. Okay, this isn't even homework. This is Google. This is this is them testing Google. <laughs> it's 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 ridiculous. You guys are gonna fight over this. Let's come up with a plan for him to not have to do this homework or to right. do it or to do it at school. busy work.
0: Let's be yeah. clear, that's what it is. I mean my question has always been um, you have my kid for eight hours a day at school and then you send him home with three hours of homework. What the hell do you do all day at school? I mean, that's yeah. really what I yeah. want to know is what are you doing all day? Yep. Um, because I, clearly there isn't a lot of learning happening if they have to come home and do three hours of homework, right? It just, it's, it doesn't make sense. So what I really like about the way this chapter kind of wraps up, Mike, and I won't I won't read every one of these, but I really like how they say someday soon, and I hope it's in our lifetime, Mike, someday soon our children will play. They will play at school they will play at home and they will play in our neighborhoods. Someday soon, our children will, will no longer be overstressed, overworked, overtested, shamed, and ordered to sit still for six to eight hours a day in bleak indoor environments, spending their school time and free time drilling for low-quality tests given by faceless electronic screens. Every school will build its curriculum on a solid foundation of playful learning. Every early childhood classroom will have sand table, arts and crafts, a dress-up closet, a wooden block zone, and children will learn many of the foundations of academics the way they learn best, through free play, right? Someday soon, children will have regular access to nature, Someday soon, every school will serve nutritious meals. Um, Someday soon, children will race to school in a state of joy. Teachers will learn how to integrate play-based and playful learning throughout the school curriculum. Uh, Someday soon, uh, children will choose what they'd like to do in class several times a week. Recess will consist of primarily outdoor free play. Um, Teachers, parents and communities will give children safe environments to play in. Children will be encouraged to go outside, run fast, get dirty. Oh my God, Mike, do you remember me telling you, I'm pretty sure it was one of in one of our previous episodes where when my daughters were in elementary school, um, we got a note sent home in the summer that there was going to be a new change when the new school year started and the new rule at recess was there'd be no running allowed at recess.
1: Oh my god. And we god. seriously
0: were like is this April Fools Day? But no, that was the rule because children were falling and scraping their knees and parents were getting upset and threatening to sc- sue the school because their children had um a skin knee. So yeah, there was no running in in recess um when my daughters were in elementary school. Do you think they could um, Yeah, it is unbelievable, right? So um it's amazing. They go on to say all these things that someday soon, right? And I love this. The world will see the dawn of the post-digital Child. I I think that's the name of a new movie, don't you think? Dawn of the Post Digital Child. Children and their parents. Oh God, this is so good, Mike. Is everybody listening? Children and their parents will be the masters of their digital devices, not the slaves of them oh, I just can't. I cannot. This is what we need. Children need to be encouraged to wiggle, giggle, and fidget. They need to be bored, right? Um, Children will learn that success and failure are not opposites, but coexist side by side. And one day, soon, we will give children back their childhood. I mean, I just, oh, this book, Mike.
1: And and right where it says, uh, soon we will stop the mass social experiments on children. Oh. So, so it, it's just, and and that's really what this is, you know, yep. like save this podcast. We're recording this on Monday, April 25th, 2022. We'll listen to this yep. in five, 10 years. Look back on this. And, and, you know, like you, you hear a lot about like COVID and we don't know yet what it does to the body. Right. Like we're not, we're not going to know for five, 10 years now what sure. the effects sure. of having it, and, you know, that sort of thing. So five, 10 years from now, we are going to know what all of the, all of these screens and all of the disappearance of play and all of this social media did to this generation of kids. Generation of kids. Uh, And and, and my my friend, uh, Ryan Wexelblatt, the ADHD dude had a great post the uh, last week. And he said, I really believe that five years from now, we're going to look back at this era and call it the great mistake when we gave kids open access to screens, screens. open access to social media and destroyed their mental health.
0: Absolutely. And I don't know what I read today, Mike, but it was something somewhere, probably, on, I don't know where I read it. They said, um, oh, I know, I know. And I, I screenshotted it. It was like, you know, when you get on on your computer and you go to Yahoo, you know, they're like a main page and there's like the news story mm-hmm. and the number one news story. Oh, my gosh. I'm just going to find it right here, Mike, because I was like, this is insane to me. OK, so here it is. Just give me a second. I'm going to find it because I was now. I, yeah. Let's hope it's here. But it basically talked about how in um, childhood today, the biggest concern is not, um, here it is, teenage years undergoing drastic, dangerous change. Three decades ago, the gravest public health threats to teenagers came from binge drinking, drunken driving, teenage pregnancy, and smoking. Today, it's mental health disorders. Suicide rates are up 60% since 2000. Wow.
1: Wow. So
0: when you start talking about the effect on mental health in children today, you better believe this is a national crisis. I mean, so yes, when your friend the ADHD dude said this, we're going to look back at this as the great mistake. I think it is absolutely we are absolutely one day. And what did they say in this book? It's the post, what did I call it? The dawn of the post digital child. And I cannot wait for that dawn to happen. I mean, one of these days, my kids, um, you know, my two oldest daughters are, um, you know, probably going to start having their own children someday, which means I am so worried. I'm worried for Eden, your daughter. I'm worried for my future grandchildren. I want to know that we are making a difference that we are bringing back play. So the very last paragraph in this chapter one, says we stand on the edge of a potential golden age of childhood a new education era of creativity exploration deeper learning and improved health and well-being for the world's children if we build our schools of today and tomorrow on a foundation of play
1: that's this is it this that's is it. the answer this is the answer it is all play the more real play we have the more we build competence The more we build confidence, that's right. The more real play we have, the less kids are going to start to realize themselves that they don't need screens, they don't need to be by themselves. You can take the most screen addicted kid there is and give him two weeks Mm -hmm. of hands on play in nature; Mm -hmm. he's not going to want to go back to those games. So it's all it is all about play. Play is the answer to solving the current crisis. That we In have given,
0: and that it's we our have given, yep. as adults too, Mike. Right? You got we it. We all know that we need vitamin D. We all know that we need movement. We all know that our nervous systems need a break from the excessive screen time. Why do we think it'd be any different for children? So. That was chapter one of our new book, Let the Children Play. Chapter two is A Tale of Two Fathers. Oh, I have not read that Ooh. yet. So I cannot wait to see what that is all about. I love so, that.
1: This, this, even just holding this book in my hands. Like I it's, know. It's, it's thick and it's like- uh, It is. It's I, a, this is, a this is, this it is, is my This is my kind of book.
0: Yep, I love it. I love it. All right, Mike. Well, this was a lot of fun. I am glad to be back uh, discussing uh, education reform and optimal child development with you again because it is fabulous. So hope you all enjoyed this episode and we will see you for chapter two next time. Take care.
1: See you guys soon.